Hello, dear listener, and welcome to Little Realms, a Dungeons & Dragons actual play podcast. I am your host and game master, Candace, and today we are playing with... My name is Sarah, and I play Vim, the appearance-changing tiefling. My name is Dan. I play Cyrus Sassafras, the elderly world-weary druid. I'm Nikki. I play Jarrell Goldenheel, the somewhat less secret-laden elven scholar. And I'm Adam, and I'm playing Arden, the moderately contemplative half-elven ranger. <laughs> and we're following them as they have just recently uncovered a whole lot of each other's secrets and a few <laughs> of the city's secrets, as we will cover in our last time on Little Realms. Arden and I wrapped up our investigation at the library. While checking out, I had the pleasure of finally meeting another researcher who works out of Mithrin, a university professor by the name of Marin. I've yet to learn their specific field of expertise, but I look forward to talking to them after the festival. Vim and I had an eventful walk from the Arendelle's estate back to Journey's End. My eagle eyes immediately noticed someone was telling us. Turns out Captain Myrne ordered his personal bodyguard to follow us back to our lodging and report back on where we live. I bet he's up to something nefarious with that information. Our group convened at Journey's End to discuss some of the things we've learned so far and make a plan for what to do next. There are several threads to investigate. For now, we've decided to follow every single one of them. I retired to my home after an evening of secret sharing, and I noticed something rather unsettling contained within. A friend of a friend, or rather an acquaintance whose name I now am reasonably sure is Weatherheight, broke into my home in broad daylight. Instead of taking anything, they left a note behind. I've been avoiding seeking them out since arriving in the city, but it's looking like I won't be able to avoid them for much longer. So we will open with everyone essentially parting ways from Journey's End to follow their individual investigations. Arden and Jarrell are headed to CN, while Cyrus and Vim are headed to Coriander's Kiss to seek out the lumberjack Theo. Um, and we will start uh, with them and Cyrus as they enter the common room of Coriander's Kiss. It's early in the evening for the type of establishment that this is, but it is still brightly lit. The waiters are walking about serving the few patrons that are there. Um, the person who greets you, she is darker skin, darker hair dressed somewhat more modest than literally everyone else in the room. And she says, Hello, welcome to Coriander's Kiss. How can we help you? 
Is Theo working tonight? She consults a list that she has with her, and she says, uh, Why, yes. Yes, he is. Uh, let me go fetch him. And actually, you recognize this elf, Cyrus? Um, she is the other elf that you ran into uh, the night when you stumbled into someone's room to poke around for fantasy sex toys. Was this the one who showed me the bathroom? <laughs> yes, this is the one that showed you the bathroom. I'll, I'll say, hey, I, I remember you. You were the nice lady who showed me where the toilet was so I didn't pee all over the halls. What was your name again? She she had a the, the customer service veneer of just a pleasant expression and you see that crack slightly. She says, oh, I uh, also remember you. My name is Nikita and yours was... My name is Cyrus Sassafras. This is my good friend Vim. Ah, yes, Claire told me about you. Ah, let me go find your preferred partner. She uh, walks off behind a curtained-off partition, comes back, and behind her is uh, Theo, who is very, very tall compared to her. He's like a foot and a half taller than she is, and he gives, Theo does, gives like a shy little wave, puts his hand up to like shoulder height and waves at you. Cyrus is smiling very broadly and waves back enthusiastically. (laughs) Vim seems charmed by all of this and kind of charmed, but also a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, She's looked kind of like, oh boy, this is a place that I'm in ever since kind of walking in. And she, she looks at Theo and says, Ah, Theo, um, it's a pleasure to see you again. I've heard great things from Cyrus. Yes, Theo, I I told them all about our raucous night, but uh, unfortunately that's not why I'm here today. Oh? We need information. Um, There's a a lumberjack. I'd look at Vim. Vim, I forgot who we were investigating. Can you take it from here? (laughs) Of course, yes, um... And she, she shakes her head for a moment uh, while kind of getting getting herself, kind of reminding herself of why they're here. Oh, yes. Uh, so we wanted to ask you a few questions, um, you know, have a little bit of a chat, um, but it would be best if we could do so in private. I imagine that's something y'all have in spades here. Theo uh, kind of nods at the two of you and then looks at Nikita for, uh, you would guess, approval. Um, and she kind of nods in return and Theo says, of of course, follow me up to uh, my uh, rooms. And you proceed behind the curtain partition and he leads you to like the third door on the right. Theo opens his door leads you inside. It's a plain room. There's a very large bed in the middle with four very tall posts. Theo motions for the two of you to sit and says, what could a lumberjack know that needs privacy to discuss if you don't mind my asking? No, that's uh, perfectly fair. Uh, honestly, the 
the privacy is more for your safety rather than ours. I'm, I'm realizing now that we've admittedly become tangled up in something interesting and that's that not reason. ominous no it's ominous um oh okay um oh boy well that wasn't a great way to start but basically we're trying to find some we're trying to find the truth about a few things that have happened and you know someone who might know something. There was a, a man who went missing in the forest. Um, he was one of several who went missing, but the difference with him is that he reappeared. He was a lumberjack who worked at the same sawmill um, you also seem to be employed at. Uh, his brows are kind of furrowed. Uh, yeah, we have a lot of workers that... Uh... Uh, come and go, but uh, do, do you have a, a name? Um, it, it was, um, Cyrus, it was M- M- Morty or, um, Madsen? It's Morris. The name? Morris. It's Morris. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> so Theo says, Morris? That's yes, the one. Yes. Oh, the one. Mo- Morris. Oh, uh, yeah, I know him. Um, he, yeah, he did disappear and come back. What do you want to know about him specifically? Well, we're on the street. It's not like a normal guy leaves his job and decides to come back. He disappeared, disappeared, if you catch my grift. Yes, this is what I have been told. He went off into the forest and was gone for a number of weeks, or rather he did not come back to work for a number of weeks. And then all of a sudden he came wandering this is what I was told wandering back out of the woods um, and where previously he had been kind of a solemn and rude man. He was suddenly happy and chipper uh, and he promptly quit his job working with the lumberjacks and I'm unsure if he ever took another job but I can tell you where he and his wife live if that would be helpful. Yes, Theo, that would be wonderfully helpful. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, they live in the eastern section of the housing that's below the tent city where a lot of us uh, live. Um, You'll be able to tell his house. uh, it, It says the Morris family in a placard on the door. Did he ever disclose where he went, why he disappeared? No, and as far as I know, I know that the reason he told people that he disappeared is because he felt a calling to the forest, but we all suspect that he was just tired of hard manual labor all (laughs) day. But I have never heard him talk about his experiences in the forest, uh, nor do I know of anyone who has. But I do know that you would be able to find Morris at that 
residence. Well, Theo, I appreciate you being so honest with us. I wish we were meeting under different circumstances tonight, but I'm afraid it was just business today. I, I mean, we can if you want. And he, like, smiles at you and winks. And blushes. <laughs> Cyrus also blushes. Um, I... Maybe Vim and I can complete this mission a little quicker, and we'll see about that, but uh, I have one final question for you, and I... Dan is trying to remember it. <laughs> Vim is, like, slowly, like, walking backwards, like, towards the door, putting some... Di- like, like, giving them some space. <laughs> Remember when we first met and you warned us about going into the forest? Is this, is this one of the reasons why? Because people disappear? Yes. We, we do not go near the heart of the forest. There's a point, and if you went farther into the, far into the forest, you... Uh, and he kind of like pauses and scratches his chin for a second, and... This might sound strange, but it's a feeling more than a particular place. When you start to feel not quite right, you you need to turn around. And we don't log past where it doesn't feel right. I'm nodding my head. No, that makes perfect sense, Theo. You are as articulate as you are beautiful. Thank you very much. Oh, I'm relieved that does not sound crazy to you. No, it's like when someone behind you is staring at you. You're able to perceive that without actually knowing, am I correct? It's a weird feeling. Yeah, yes. Yes. Bim, Bim like, looks down at the floor. (laughs) Instead of staring. (laughs) Well, well, I, I hate to cut this so short, but... Hopefully, I will see you tonight. I wink. Come on, Vim, let's go. Theo winks back. Uh, and then are you presumably heading over to that address? I mean, it's a little late at night, but they probably haven't gone to bed yet. That's the plan, unless Vim takes us somewhere else. That sounds perfect. All right, so it's it's not super hard to find this house that you were told about. Uh, Theo gave fairly good directions. Um... And you find it. It says the Morris's family, uh, Morris's family on the door. Uh, and there is, in fact, still a light on inside. Knock, knock. Door opens and a, uh, a woman standing there op- uh, opens the door, stands in the doorway. Uh, she's got, like, dirty blonde hair pulled back into a low ponytail and she's wearing just a really simple uh, shift dress. Like, she squints and looks taken aback for a second and says, Hi, uh, how can I help you? Hello, ma'am. I know it is late, and I'm sorry for the intrusion, but we are friends of Theo's, one of your husband's former colleagues at the lumber mill, and we were hoping we could talk to Morris. Is he in? Her squinted eyes actually, like, open up when you say Theo's name, and she goes, Oh, Theo! Yeah, he's just a big doll. Um, you just wanted to talk to my husband? Yes, I don't mean to be coy. We want to ask him about his disappearance. We're very curious about that since we intend to go into the forest as well, and we're hoping he can shed some light on it for us so we can avoid any any disappearance ourselves. Oh, 
well, uh, yeah, sure. Um, and she still looks a little bit confused as she says, uh, whatever happened out in the forest to, uh, Morris should, you know, happen to more people, I guess, or not. Uh, he hasn't told me what actually went on, but since he's gotten back, uh, he's been the most appreciative, genuine, and lovely fellow I've ever met. And she pulls the door back, you, and then you can see into the, the one-room house, and... Uh, Morris is like crouching um, in an open space on the floor kind of towards the back of the room and there are two children like jumping and circling around him and he looks up as you two enter gives the woman a questioning look and says "Uh, who are these people Elisa and she responds "Uh, these are friends of your co-worker Theo and what did you say your names were again? Oh, yes, I'm sorry. My name is Cyrus Sassafras. And my name is Vim. It's a pleasure to meet y'all. And thank you for welcoming us into your home. One of the kids pipes up and says, That's the coolest name ever! Why, Why thank, thank you. you. And then another kid immediately totters over to you, Cyrus, and says, Can I touch your beard? Absolutely. And I crouch down real low. He, like, reaches up and, like, does the little kid thing where they're trying to be gentle, but they 100% aren't. And he, like, squeezes one of the mushrooms and is like, is this real? It was. Now it's really (laughs) painful. (laughs) (laughs) He, like, kneels down and kind of, like, slots the hand away and says, don't, don't do that. Uh, Don't do that, Darren. And Darren looks a little abashed and, like, puts his hand behind his back and scuffs a foot on the floor. Morris walks over and gives a hearty, like, ha ha ha. What can I help you with? Hello, we are friends of Theo's, and we would like to ask you about your disappearance. Your wife tells us you've you've had a, a change since that coming back, and frankly, we want to know everything you can tell us about your disappearance. He had been like grinning really widely uh and then but all of a sudden when you mentioned the disappearance his face kind of falls um and he sort of shoes both of the children away from you and says i have not even talked about my time in the forest with elisa here i suppose if It will help you in some way. I can go into it. But it wasn't pleasant. I can assure you I am not an idle fancy seeker. This is your information will help us solve a mystery that could save many lives. Go ahead and roll persuasion. Come on, dice. Don't shit on me now. Fell out. Doesn't count. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck! God damn it. <laughs> That's a natural one. Morris blinks at the two of you. Cyrus is very old, and he looks to, like, your beard and the signs of your age. And then to the... Are you still wearing your... Are you in wearing armor or your, like, pajamas, Vim? I don't remember. 
think half C armor, so maybe a more comfortable top, but an armored bottom still has a weapon or two. Okay. Oh. So like half casual, half combat. Yeah, ready. half cash. It's like a walking mullet. Like she's an adventure casual. That's what it is. So like old man and a frock and adventure casual. And I think he is just like, right, you're going into the forest for what purpose? Vim, would you like to assist? What uh, what my friend I mean, part of what my friend is referring to. We have some business that takes us into the forest, and a few days ago we saw a friend of ours disappear for a time, and we want to know more about the dangers that lurk for us there, so we do not, um, and I apologize for saying this, but so that the same ills that befell you do not befall us. I go ahead and roll persuasion with advantage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so I got a three and a 20 so that's okay. gonna be a 25 okay so he his shoulders sag a little bit and he sighs heavily first he kneels down to the kids and says uh darren uh jared why don't you go play out in the garden for just a little bit and they do the little kid thing where they like pout for just a second and then he gives them a meaningful look and then they understand it's like adult conversation time uh, and they patter out the back door. He then takes uh, Elisa's hand and sits down at the kitchen table and motions for the two of you to do the same and he says, this is what happened. And we're going to like flash back to a like setting of a scene instead of me narrating what he's saying so what we see is a a man wandering through the forest and it's morris and he's got a very disgruntled expression on his face like he looks obviously not happy every now and then as he passes a tree he like punches it in frustration and then we see this man but suddenly Morris is seeing like a darkened forest as if the bright sunlight of the day had suddenly become the most moonless night and as the night grows deeper, the trees disappear and he's suddenly, and he's no longer in the forest. He's just in a void. And in this void, he sees the image of Elisa and his two boys. And then he sees them laying on the ground, bleeding out. He, this man, he reams to no one in particular. <laughs> a sound swallowed up by the inky blackness around him. And then he's back on the forest floor, sobbing, holding his bald fists to his eyes. And when he's able to finally stand, he is no longer angry at whatever it was before. And he's stumbling out of this wood and then he finishes his story with and 
now I'm just really happy with what I have. And I guess I never realized how much it would hurt if I didn't have them. And you could see his eyes are kind of like shining and he's got like a a very, very like a white knuckle grip on Elise's hand. I have a question for you. Did, is your happiness now entirely due to the fact that you thought you were going to lose your family, but now you have the realization that you're alive? Or is, is there... Do you feel different constantly? Is it magical, or is it just an epiphany? He thinks about it for a second. I don't think I know enough about magic to be able to say one way or the other. If I were to guess, it would be that I do feel like I feel different all the time now. That's that's quite the story. Thank you. And she kind of exchanges a meaningful look across the table with them. Do you actually believe me? Yes. I've, um, I'm something of a collector of stories, and after a time, you, you get a, you get a sense in your chest. It's, it's like being pulled at by a cord when, when you know someone is speaking from their heart and, and from a true experience that they've had. And, and, you know, when, when someone's just spinning a yarn for you, um, I believe this happened to you in the forest, whether it was by magic or some strange machination none of us understand but yes yes i believe you as do i thank you and he looks like deeply appreciative and then if that answers your question though it is late yes yes we we will take off um before i do i've theo told me that you actually left the the lumberjack business is that true Oh, uh, yeah, I, uh, I wanted to be a better father to my children and a better husband to Elisa. And so I have been working out of the home instead of going out into the forest every day. Well, wise man, know the treasures that you have. And Cyrus puts his hand into one of his pockets in his frock, and then he reaches his hand out to shake Morris's hand. Morris shakes your hand. There's a gold coin in there. You have a great day. Morris, like, when he takes his hand back, he, like, opens it, almost drops it, and then, like, uh, sputters to catch it again, and then just looks at you wide-eyed as you both make your exit. Yep, Bim <laughs> says thank you one more time, and then they slip out into the night. Goodbye. So they walk out of the household and Bim's eyes are just snapped to the wall of the city and she seems to be looking beyond them. And on the other side somewhere is is the tent city and she looks kind of antsy as, as she's looking towards that darkening horizon. And she, she looks at Cyrus and says, Someone broke into my home earlier and I'm, I'm sorry, that's, I've, uh, I've been thinking about that a lot um, this evening. I, I, I can't. Hmm. Someone broke into my home, and I hate that. I want to go find that person. Cyrus nods at Vim, and I say, 
well, I was going to see Theo again tonight, but if someone broke into your home, I hate that too, Viv. Let's get the bastard. I think the bastard was with her height. They didn't sign, they they left a note. They left a God's forsaken note in my home. They, I, they, they, they stood in my home and they touched my things, I'm sure, and they left a note behind and they, they didn't sign it with their name. Instead, he drew a crummy little picture of himself. And yes, <laughs> it was the blue skin tiefling, the one we all keep talking about. He broke into my house. And she's tapping her foot and kind of angrily <laughs> on the cobblestone. And she keeps like looking at Cyrus and then looking looking beyond the wall and, and says He uh he he's taunting me and I am not okay with that. I have traveled on the road with you for a couple of weeks. I know how secretive and well, I know how dear you hold your privacy and the things inside that Vardo, so I am at your service. Whatever needs to be done, whatever adventure, I'm with you. Theo can wait. Ah, oh, Cyrus. I would I would hate to take away some time. Y'all seem like I'll have a good thing going, but But tonight I, I have an idea. I don't know where Wither Height is, but I might know someone who knows. Lead the way. Okay. And then we will cut over to Arden and Jarell, who are standing in front of a little brick house with a tiny, tiny yard with planters on the windows. And it has a picket fence around it that has a gate that you can get through, but definitely denotes that this entire property is ends and only invited people come through there. So, uh, Jarell, of course, as they usually do when they go see Anne, has kind of dressed down. They're wearing darker clothes than they normally do, and a hood up, and so they go ahead and, and let themselves into the garden, and uh, lead Arden up to the, the door, and, and they knock. You knock, you hear um, a couple voices from inside, and then the door opens, and Anne is standing there, and she goes, Oh, hello, Jorel. Did you finally bring a friend? Finally. <laughs> Why would you expect me to bring someone? <laughs> I was just assuming that you might have friends with you. I mean, I have many friends. Most of them are back in... What? Doesn't matter. Yes, uh, and please, uh, this is my friend Arden. Arden, this is Anne, a, a good friend of the family. Oh, hello, Arden. And she uh, reaches out a hand to shake yours. Arden will reach out and shake her hand and say, uh, yes, and, um, I understand you have some overdue books. Well, dear sir, I have many overdue books, not just from the library at Mithrin. And she's, like, laughing a little bit to herself as she says, But we can talk about that over tea. It turns out that I am very popular this evening. She says, Come in, come in. And she ushers you inside. And there are four surfaces in the main sitting room that are sitable, and Hyatt is in one of them. Arden, you're seeing this place for the first time. It is covered. Floor to ceiling, 
books, plants, doodads, ding-dongs, things that you don't know the name of, weapons attached to the wall, just you name it, it's probably somewhere in this house. Probably have, amongst all of these things, quite a few overdue books. Oh, I don't even know where they all go anymore. Uh, Hyatt looks at the both of you and says, Oh, what a pleasant surprise. Hyatt, hello. I didn't know you knew each other. Hello. Jarell, of course, hugs Anne when they come in <laughs> and sheds their cloak. <laughs> and hugs you back very warmly. Sorry, and then, what does Anne do? And walks up to you and, like, holds out her arms for a hug. <laughs> Arden will, like, stand there. He obviously knows what she's getting at, but he's a little bit reluctant before he will give her a hug. Uh, he's a little shy and uh, maybe give him some time. <laughs> oh, he's one of those types. Okay, no hugs for you. <laughs> and she immediately retracts the hug <laughs> and motions you both to sit down and says, I will get even more tea. Thank you so much. Uh, do you need any help or? Oh, no, no, I'm good. I will be here making tea. Make yourselves at home. And the seats are, like, right next to Hyatt. Hyatt says, Oh, don't worry, I won't take too much of your time with and I was just, um, leaving, actually. Oh, no, it's fine. And you see that she's holding, um, like, a little wrapped-in-paper package with her. Oh, you don't need to leave on our account, if you have business. Oh, I have... I have, um, concluded my business here. I was just, uh, exchanging small talk with N. Oh, well, we wouldn't want to interrupt. Uh, well, how, how have you been? I, I understand that the Margrix is feeling much better. That's good. Yes, um, and no small thanks to N is he feeling better, finally. Um, and she, like, looks meaningfully at the package. Was he... Was he ill, if I may ask, or, um... Uh, yes. But not in the body, the way most of us conceive of illness. I mean, well, I study in illness of the mind for a living. I mean, you don't have to be quiet. Yes. That is that is what um, ails the Margrix's victor. Was he the, the victim of a, a spell gone awry, or something more nefarious? No, she shakes her head. Nothing nefarious that I have been able to uncover. Um, he has just always had periods of his life where it seems like existence is hard, is almost too hard. Well, I... I understand how difficult that can be. We... we make do at the Arendelle estate. As we must. <laughs> we uh, hope he continues on his recovery in that, you said, periods of his life. Um, that the next period is a good distance away if it ever comes. As do we. And then from the stove, you say... That'd be as well, except I still want your business. And then Hyatt gets up from her chair. Uh, 
If your business with um, N is not personal, then I will stick around for a while, but I understand uh, deeply the need for privacy if you desire it. Uh, I'll be honest, just has some books that I wanted to take a look at that uh, she's checked out from the library for a good time, and it seemed easiest to come and ask her if I could see them myself. Mm. Actually, uh, if if you aren't otherwise engaged, um, I we did have a couple things that um, we're, uh, you know, well, actually, I guess you you know all about it. Um, in in regarding Liara's um, untimely demise, we've been thinking about uh, how we might follow up more thoroughly, and um, we were thinking that you might be able to answer a few questions about uh, ghosts, basically. Oh, uh, yes, of course. I will do my best. Ah, uh, yes. Um, can ghosts be produced by people who aren't dead? Yes. Wait, what? The ghost that you had mentioned when we first met that directed you to the box and how to find the box is a ghost that, a spirit rather, that exists tied to a place because they have unfinished business and they seek out mortals to help them finish it so they can move on. However, if something terrible happens at a location um, such as a site of a, uh, a battle, a heated argument, a time where one person takes the life of another, that emotional imprint remains on that place and that under the correct circumstances can manifest itself. Um, think of it as like if there was a specific room in your childhood home where your parents argued and how it never felt quite right being in that room alone. It's that's what causes it. I see. I don't understand. So so this a feeling can generate a, a, a pseudo consciousness? A strong enough emotion coupled with a heated, emotionally charged action can cause what we we call it a shade. Would such a thing be able to communicate meaningfully? They can usually only communicate in gibberish or what comes across as gibberish. Are they... Well, okay, full disclosure, there was... Something very similar to what you were describing harrying Liara when we came across her. Would such a thing stick around? The Such a thing would stick around, as you say, as long as the... And she kind of um, looks off into the corner of the room for a second to collect her thoughts. It would theoretically stay around as long as the the thing that caused the emotion is still there. So, in a psychic sense, or Liara's ghost sort of dissipated after we had found the box? More than likely, the shade would have dissipated as well. Or if it was banished in some way before her ghost, her spirit 
moved on that would prevent the shade from coming back. It seems like there should be a lot more places in this world with shades around. They vary in strength. The worse or more violent or more angered the action, the more powerful the shade is. If it's just the the less charged the action, the less powerful the shade is. I don't suppose it's at all sort of magically or spiritually possible to to reincarnate or to re reanimate or re substantiate such a spirit of either sort? It is possible to contact a spirit. It is not possible to contact a shade in the same way unless all parties involved in creating the shade are dead, in which case you would have to contact each spirit individually. For instance, if a shade was created because two individuals continually argued in the same location, you would not be able to summon the shade of that argument, but when both of those individuals die, you could speak to each of their spirits. I must confess, I'm not particularly keen to 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 bring that thing back, if we can help it. I was more wondering what you thought the odds were of somehow holding a seance or whatever and having a word with Leora. Um, that is a thing that I am capable of, yes. May I ask why you haven't suggested it already? It is not something that we commonly do, as we are spirit shamans. However, contacting the spirit realm is a matter of last resort, if all options are completely exhausted. Um, until you all showed up at the city, we thought that Liara's case was solved, and I simply haven't had the chance to put together what is needed to contact the spirit world if we wanted to talk with her. Well, you might keep that on standby. <laughs> I That thought had indeed occurred to me. This has been educational. Um, it's unfortunate that she didn't disappear to a better life. So I don't know how much we can say the other disappearances were people that disappeared to better lives either. One of them appears to have a better life now, at least. Yeah, someone came back, yeah. Yes. Um, did, did that answer your question about spirits and other such things? In more detail than we expected. Oh, I'm sorry. It's uh, kind of my job. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> she kind of like smiles warmly at the both of you. At this point, N comes back into the room with a platter with uh, a teapot and four teacups on it and says, Okay, we've got tea for everyone. That means you are all stuck here while I give Jorel their next assignment, which will be delightful. And she sets the platter down on the table 
Drell looks kind of like alarmed and glances at Arden like, ah. <laughs> and says, Drell, come, come here. And she takes your hand and pulls back the curtain and kind of like shoves you into the next room. And she says, your task right now is to copy down that chart on the wall, but you're not allowed to copy down the details of what's in that chart. You have to figure them out for yourself. Is it the periodic table? <laughs> and the room that you've been shoved into. Along one table is a workbench that has flasks and beakers on it that might be reminiscent of what we would know in modern times as Erlenmeyer flasks and Florence flasks and tubes and ye old Bunsen burners and all of that. Is this the same room that we that we made the the weird drugs in last time? Yeah it is. Yeah it is. And then along the back wall you see a chart that looks suspiciously like ye old periodic table of the elements, except it's much like squat and not quite, it's like narrower and not quite as high. That makes sense. I would be very shocked if they were somehow like <laughs> creating some of the lower elements on here in, in ye old fantasy world. <laughs> and so that is uh, your task. Well, while she's doing that, um, Arden is going to sit down. He's probably also, he's been taking a closer look at some of the odds and ends around End's home, not looking for anything in particular. So, though if he sees the books he's looking for... So if you were looking for the book from the library, well, I, this is where it is. And she, after putting down the platter of tea, goes to one of the many, many stacks of books and pulls one out from possibly like the, the bottom uh, and somehow manages to not tip over the tower of books that is there. And she puts it on like the edge of the table and she says, this is the uh, book that I have borrowed indefinitely from the library because I am very petty and don't like Marin very much. It's a... <laughs> I fucking love him. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> that sounds like it's probably the one I wanted to see. Oh, uh, it's... Okay, so here's what's actually in the book. It's a book of old, outdated, and extremely dangerous magical theories. So, you're saying magical theories that have been proven wrong, but still produce results that nobody quite wants. Right, so the last person that tried to emulate the experiments described in this book literally exploded. Um, that does actually sound extremely interesting. I, yeah, go for it. So here's the summary. She just goes on as you are flipping through the pages. It's a twofold theory. First, it theorizes about three reusable spell components, which I would like to point out is proven impossible because the purpose of spell component is to be consumed to power the spell. The words and the gestures just channel the power that the consumable component powers. Surely there are things that we use that people can use in making spells that aren't consumed. For instance, 
a ball that you may use to scry long distances. That's more of a focus than a component. <laughs> in, in, in that case, the, the object is channeling power from one of two sources. This is the second part of the theory. The two sources of energy for spells that we commonly know about are arcane or divine. Arcane energy comes from the energy around us. Uh, it is just there. We don't quite understand what is going on with it. The divine, what we call divine, comes from what lies beyond death. Beings that create packs are another matter entirely, and closer to what this book talks about. It theorizes that there is a source that can drive spells that is none of the above, and in fact might be the source of the former two. Drell is dying because they have homework and people are talking magical theory in the next room. They want sleep. you can like you could you can clearly hear what is going on because it is just a curtain between these two rooms that are smooshed between each other. So feel free to like chime in. They are definitely listening. And so who was the last person to attempt this? Uh the ritual? There their name. It's not specifically a ritual. It's like a, um, she kind of taps her finger on a table. The, uh, I would call it more a harvest than a ritual. It's n not good. Um, their name was Emerin Vine. Emerin Vine? Yes. Hmm. I'm going to continue flipping through the book, see if anything catches my eye about any of these. Roll Arcana or Investigation? Arcana, for sure. Okay, okay. go for it. Uh, not too bad, I got a 16. Okay. So you are able to discern kind of the process that this book is outlining. Um, kind of like and said the first half of the book seems to be more like fables and parables and old creation myths and then the second half of the book uh, outlines how you would obtain power from these things mentioned in the first half in the first half the particular story that catches your eye is something called the myth of the old wild and this story claims that the old wild is what spawned both Arcadia i.e. the fey wild and parts of the material plane where everything that everyone know and loves exists. The second half of the book talks about uh, and has spell circles. Uh, it's going to kind of assume that you commit to memory or if you borrow the book, you don't have to worry about doing that. Um, 
like a progression of spell circles that get more and more complicated until finally there is one that also requires a vessel of some sort, like a, um, the way the book describes the vessel is a, a person and a place where they have to be in order to access the power. Um, in this so case, you can assume that when Arden yeah. sees that one, he's going to be like, ah, this must be the one they attempted that caused them to explode. Yeah, that's what you can infer about that. Um, because that is also the last piece of information in the book is like, this should theoretically be the penultimate spell circle and this contraption that they're, that the book describes um, in theory, but not details, uh, should be what ultimately allows this function, but that's also where the book ends. I'll look up to N and say, well, um, as Jarell appears to be interested in magic of the mind, I must admit I'm curious about magic of a slightly older sort. Uh, if you're keeping this primarily to spite another researcher, would you mind if I borrowed it for a while to read over myself in a more in-depth way? I wouldn't want to take up your living room for too much longer. As long as you also promise to keep it out of spite and not return it to the library. As you wish. Oh, thank you. You're a wonderful human. Elf, uh, half elf. Who wants it, though, and why? It doesn't seem like... Oh, it's, well, I it's... guess I'm interested in it, so I can't say it has no value. Oh, it ultimately kills anyone who tries to use the information contained in it. It can't be terribly useful, either. Oh, it's Marin that wants it. Her research is all about trying to circumvent whatever made the last person that wrote that book explode. Uh, I guess that would be Eberin. Uh, Marin thinks that they can do that without exploding. Well, I suppose it would seem odd to take all of the same steps as somebody who did explode to attempt to do so. Uh, but nonetheless, I... We'll make sure that it stays well out of her hand. That's excellent. I mean, that's what I think, too. Also, that reminds me. Jorel! Yes, Anne! <laughs> so, I remember you asked me about the weird things that happened last spring where something came out of the forest. You asked me about that, yes? Yes, because Arden went and disappeared for a little while and we got attacked by a thing. Oh, you're the one that disappeared into the forest. Well, I guess the fairy bullshit is true. Uh, so here's the coincidence that you might want to know about. And she kind of pauses and waits for you to come back into the room so she doesn't have to keep yelling. Jarell has poked their head back through the curtain. It's like kind of sitting on the floor and is like craned over to look at you guys. <laughs> okay, so I hope you're making good progress copying that because I expect it to be done the next time you come by. But anyway, you mentioned that event and I didn't think much of it at the time because well, I didn't pay attention. They didn't call me up anything but I checked my journals and I can tell you about a very strange coincidence from that day that morning was the morning I got into an argument with Marin 
if they had been working together for the the mine project. Wait, is she talking about the day that it first showed up, or the day that we went in there? Yeah, the day that it showed up. The days that it showed up. Um, I had been talking with Meren about the mine matters, but then her experiments came up in conversation because, oh boy, she cannot have a conversation without mentioning her experiments. And I told her she was crazy and it was bullshit and she got very, very mad, as you would imagine, and kicked me out of her lab and we haven't spoken since. And specifically, I was telling her that she was crazy for wanting to test her nonsense so soon. Drill tips all the way on their back, and they're kind of like tapping their lip with a pen and thinking. But unfortunately, I don't know what air quotes her nonsense is, because she never let me see her lab. Well, Drill is kind of looking at the chart in her hands. If I'm going to figure out what all this is, I'm going to need a lab, and uh, she has invited me to the university to talk. I mean, that's purportedly why I'm here, um, ish. Oh, will you spy on her? Well, that's basically where I'm going with this, yes. I'm pretty curious myself, anyway. You are excellent. I knew you were fine folk, Jorel. I always knew it. (laughs) Jorel sort of grins at her. You know me, I have to know what everyone's doing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. Anyway, magic that doesn't work by normal arcane system sounds like just the sort of thing that, you know, I like as a hobby, so... Yes, that is a thing. So, does that answer your question, Arden? Well, I've got the book now. <laughs> and, um, knowing that there's somebody else in town working... Well, somebody in town working on what is contained in this book seems helpful. Uh, for the record, I didn't see the same thing that they did when we were in the forest. And kind of nods. I do not know if that actually means that much. The thing from the forest probably has different shapes for different times and different people. I'd also like to make a side note here. Hyatt is just sitting at this table, (laughs) wide-eyed, sipping tea. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of... And Arden is also kind of sipping tea as he flips through this book nonchalantly, (laughs) this death book. Hyatt sets down the teacup and says, Thank you, and I will let you know how Victor is doing. Um, Arden and Jarell, good luck in everything. Um... Our door is always open to you at the Arendelle Estate. No matter what nomenclature you all are going by at the time. Terrell winces. <laughs> I try to stick to my own name. <laughs> I have a distinctive enough face that I don't feel the need to keep people from knowing who I am. Yes. And Hyatt stands up holds the package close to her and nods to and says, I will show myself out. Uh, lovely seeing the both of you. We'll um, let you know if we find out anything about the other matter. Thank you. <laughs> and she uh, sees herself out of the, uh, the little house. Speaking of, uh, Anne, 
we may have gotten involved in a, oh, how do I put it? A politically charged murder investigation? We didn't murder anyone. Uh, we're doing the investigating, but we've also managed to, uh, grab the unwanted or maybe, um, unhappy attention of, uh, Captain Myrne and his lieutenant. Um, it might be better or safer for you to, if anyone asks if you know us, to just say no. <laughs> Uh, Vund, thank you for clarifying that you were not the ones doing the murder. Uh, two, they are both afraid of me, and so I am confident that you don't have to worry about anything. And she, like, grins, but and kind of a shit-eating grin that looks reminiscent of one of Vim's grins. I think anyone would be a fool not to be afraid of you on some level, then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, me too. And then the grin is, like, genuine and goes to her eyes. Um, did you finish copying that? Did I Did I finish copying that? Oh, how how fast can uh, Jarell copy a, a table? I would think pretty quickly. Um, <laughs> and you probably finished. When you said that I, I could put down some stuff but not other stuff, what exactly is the goal here? Is, is this like, here's a list of chemicals, go like find out what they are and what they do, or what? Uh, so the information that's on the table is just, it would be the symbol and its atomic number, and then and produces another piece of paper and says, this piece of paper will help you fill in the rest of the table. And what you're handed is a sheet of unbalanced chemical reaction equations. And she says, you will be able to figure those out with the information in the table. Uh, don't come back until they are solved. Does any of this, does Jarell have even the remotest idea what any of this crap is? Jarell has no idea. Like, you have never seen these symbols and numbers in combination before. I am just not gonna overthink how chemistry works. Alright. Jarell looks very eager and bright-eyed to have, have this assignment, and is kind of like, ooh, a puzzle. <laughs> Arden is vaguely interested, too, since he didn't know about any of these assignments. Arden, you, like, look over Jarell's shoulder... And uh, the the gibberish makes even less sense to you, because I believe all of your spell casting is mostly innate. Yes, that is correct. It's it's semi innate. Drell turns, kind of looks at Arden, and is like, "Well, you are a caster, aren't you, Arden? Does this look familiar to you at all?" I know a little bit of magic. Anything like this? <laughs> Uh, not anything like this, though. And then he'll turn away. Well, thank you, Em. This looks like an invigorating puzzle to work on. Oh, it definitely is. Yeah, so you all make small talk for, um, you know, the next 30 minutes or an hour. Oh, Arden, do you want to hear a story about Tiny Jorel? No, no. You know, we really must be going. <laughs> Are you sure? Okay. And so you head off uh, eventually. Uh, are both of you heading back to Journey's End? So Arden is of a race, as it were, that actually needs to sleep. 
but yes, he is interested in going back to Journey's End at the moment. Yeah, I would just go back, probably. I've got a lot to think about. And So if you both head back to Journey's End, you're getting back at like 11 o'clock at night. It's not super duper late, but late for a half-elf, not late for a elf. Uh, over to Vim and Cyrus. How did you want to go about finding this individual that you are seeking? So Vim starts leading Cyrus down the road that would take them out of the walls of the city and towards the tent city. Uh, She remembers taking a walk with Arden the other day and Mm -hmm. uh, seeing a circle of Ardos. Right. Kind of looking for them. Okay. Uh, It's not hard to find them. They stand out. And the number of Vardos that are kind of in this semicircle is maybe four, which is much lower than your knowledge of the dancing mannequins would lead you to believe. But there is a Vardo that has lights on in it still. So as they're uh, walking up, Vim will turn to Cyrus and uh, uh, say, uh, a, f- a few days ago during... Um, Actually, I think you were looking for the bathroom when we were at the Arendelle's estate, but um, Captain Myrne referenced the uh, dancing mannequin as a as a caravan that had at one point been fairly prominent in Mithrin, and um, they have a few individuals who live here. I'm I'm hoping that maybe one of them might have information or might know more about um, our friend that we're looking for. And she bristles at uh, the thought of uh, Wither Height. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, she motions over towards, towards towards the Vardos as they come into view and she goes let's go say hello. Lead the way. So as you are approaching you see the remnants of a fire that was probably burning earlier in the day. The other three Bardos are dark. Presumably there are individuals sleeping inside of them, but the fourth, the largest and most decorated, and there's an orange glow coming from inside of it. Ben will walk up and uh, gently like wrap her hand or her fist uh, against the threshold. Um, there's a pause. And then standing in front of you is a teal tiefling woman with deeply wrinkled eyes and mouth with a a small crest at her forehead and horns curving upwards from that crest. And she takes up the, the space at the door because it's a rather small door and says, how may I help you? Hello, and uh, Vim, Vim will like take a, a polite step back and then do a, a bow, a perhaps the deepest and most polite one we've seen her do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she'll kind of reach into like another section of her shirt and mm-hmm. pull out uh, like a little um, business card mm-hmm. uh, sort of deal that has a kind of crew in like really just terrible handwriting. Uh, <laughs> written uh, her name and some other information and and she hands it to the woman as she says 
My apologies for disturbing you so late. The uh, only reason why I rapped on your door was because the light was still on. My, my name is Vim, and I am from a caravan known as the Mother Elephant. I, <laughs> I must apologize. Tonight, tonight, impatience has gotten the best of me, and I was hoping. I was hoping you might be able to help sate that for me. I have a question you might not be able to answer, but I I would appreciate anything you can give. She takes the business card uh, and grins um, a little warmly and a little snarkily and says, uh, as it would happen, uh, I am Mother Rose. No relation to the Mother Elephant. Uh, but I have, I have heard of you. I've heard good things about the the mother elephant. What is the question that you think I might be able to answer? Vim seems amused by the thought that she might have heard of the mother elephant. <laughs> <laughs> But you can tell, the- you you can tell, um, and Cyrus could probably tell that like tiefling conversation is layered in sarcasm. <laughs> uh, so Vim Vim puts that to the side for a moment and says, oh, "Why I I'm looking for someone. I admit, I admit that if I was willing to wait." Another few days, they'd probably show up on a whim uh, without me having to seek them out, but... Ooh. But, yes, but alas, I, uh... I'm looking for a man with blue and purple skin with a very distinct set of curled horns, and I do not wish to utter his name, but... I have the sense that if you knew who he was from the description, you'd you'd know who he was. She, like, grins, but tries not to show her teeth too much because she's tried to, like, restrain the grin a little bit. And she opens the door all the way and stands aside and says into the Vardo, My friend, I believe these people are here for you. And or like around the side of this opening, uh, Yotam's head suddenly sticks out, uh, eyes as big as saucers, and he goes, "I did not expect you here right now. Oh dear. Uh, sorry, Mother Rose. Uh, oh." And he's like turning a bright bright red and she's and she's giving him like the look of a mother to a disappointed child that's not a tiefling no no i'm not a tiefling astute of you to notice i'm staring at vim confused what's do you know this person vim also looks very confused as she pokes her head inside a little bit to get a better look and she scrunches up her her nose and she says you're you're the rest about from the alleyway um yo tom i believe it was yeah v- v- vim yes vim and uh friend 
Friend is my name, yes. <laughs> Friend? Okay, that's fine with me. Um, uh, yeah, so, uh, this is awkward again. Sorry, Mother Rose. I will, uh, now exit your fardo and not be a nuisance any longer. Uh, and Yotam, like, all but tumbles down the steps of the bardo and lands in front of you and then sort of writes itself. It says, I will try to answer the questions that you have. As he tries to write himself, uh, Vim, like, to herself or, or quietly casts thaumaturgy and makes the ground shake beneath his feet. <laughs> <laughs> trying to shake him down, like back down to the ground. He lands on his butt. Mother Rose still has her head sticking out of the bardo door and is watching rather amusedly at what is going on. Yodam says, I, I, I meant what I said earlier. Uh, boss wants to exchange information for information. Um, also, he apologizes. Where is your boss? I... What is his name? I cannot say that uh, where he is, but I will tell you that his name is Indigo. Indigo is his real name, not Witherheight. Um, yes. Was it ever Witherheight? Uh, well, uh, I... I don't know, actually, you'd have to ask him that. Uh, I'm not, like, in on the, uh, and he, like, uh, does the anime thing where they, like, poke their two index fingers together. Uh, I was like, he never told me what he did before. I'm starting to get a sense why that might be the case. Now tell me again, where is Indigo? Before he answers, I want to interject. I want to basically assist with an intimidation roll if I can. Okay, go for it. So, <clears throat> yes, I believe you should answer my friend's question. And I do the cantrip shillelagh on my quarterstaff to show him a bunch of thorns as I stare him. Answer it now, please. Yeah, go ahead and roll, like, joint intimidation. 19 total. Okay. He says, Okay, I really, really, really do want to tell you where he is. But see, here's the thing. If I tell you where he is, he's going to immediately stop being there. Um, so I can tell you, like, generally where all of us are. But that's the best I can do? Then do the best you can, Yotam. Alright, alright, okay. So, uh, some of us are like me and Brennan and a couple others. We just live in the city and we have our houses where we live. Uh, and then some of us are sometimes uh, uh, agents and sometimes not. And then some of us uh, work out of the Rorit estate. Rorit, the playwright. Is the dragonborn, his... isn't he? Yes. Yeah, they're the dragonborn. Yotam screeches a yes, and Mother Rose says, uh, I guess mogul is the word that 
civilizations use. Fim flashes Rose a smile that is in no ways in her eyes, <laughs> uh, and then looks back to, or and, and says to Rose, "I am pleased to hear that that your people, the the dancing mannequin, have been able to rebuild, but." Um, my apologies if that is not my concern in this moment. And then she looks back to Yotam. So Indigo is at the Roar Estate? Probably. You will speak to no one of this conversation, is that correct? Yes, ma'am. And do you know what will happen if you do? I don't. Do I want to know? No, you don't. Okay. But instead, let that imagination of yours spin. Oh, please, no. I also don't want to see what journeys end. Oh, okay, that's fine. You see, your boss, Indigo, Weatherheight, whoever, he broke into my home and I do not take kindly to that. He said to pass along that he's sorry. Sorry doesn't cut it right now. That's fair, is what Yotam says. And he's still on his butt this entire time, like, looking up at you. Oh, Vim is pleased. She, okay. she likes that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I came for what I was looking for. Yotam, you best stay there until we leave, and until we're out of sight. Mother Rose, and then Vim bows again and says, Thank you for your hospitality. Mother Rose actually returns your bow and says, I genuinely do not want the dancing mannequins and the the representative of the mother elephant to be at odds. Come by sometime and we will have a chat without. And she looks down at the ground. Uh, Bim this time smiles a little bit and it returns to her eyes and, and she she looks to Rose without her eyes ever casting down again at Yotam. Like at this point, Yotam is no longer there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she says, yes, I, I look forward to visiting under more auspicious skies. As do I. The, the Vardo door closes. Uh, Yotam does not make a single move on the ground until you are completely out of sight. Attaboy. <laughs> um, you hear a very small voice like when you're all out of earshot that says, Will you tell Jorel I think they're cool? <laughs> <laughs> like whispered on the wind. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> as as they walk away and begin to head back to Journeys and Bim uh, lets in a, a big like <sighs> like a big like deep breath and then lets it out and she looks a lot lighter <laughs> damn that was some good intimidation there I don't even think you needed me I was shaking in my boots uh, <laughs> Cyrus, I was happy you were there to throw around that big stick of yours. <laughs> well, I am trying to become the muscle, but um, let, let me ask you, was was this one of your adventures with Jarrell? Is that how you know this figure? That uh, neighborhood watch you spoke of? 
Uh, well, um, you mean Yotam? Yes, actually, Yotam is, as it turns out, one of the faceless, and the faceless, as it seems, work for Indigo, um, or whatever their name is. Seems like they're going by Indigo now. So, yes, and you know what? I don't want to see them again. Well, we've got to see Indigo. That's the whole point, right? Yes, Indigo we will see, and, uh... Indigo is someone I can't shake, but I think I think we won't be dealing with Yotam anymore. I don't imagine he'll want to see you either after that stern warning you gave him. <laughs> uh, and Vim kind of like playfully punches Cyrus in the shoulder and says, ah, don't sell yourself short. They wouldn't want to see you either. Cyrus flexes. Let's, let's go home. <laughs> you're you're both flexing into the night as you uh return to journey's end it's a confident strut walk uh flexing into the night thank you for listening to this episode of little realms if you like the show and want to stay up to date make sure to hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening you can also find us on social media on twitter pod realms We also have a website, www.littlerealms.com. May your journey be successful, and we'll see you next time. The wonderful music you hear on Little Realms is possible due to royalty-free music and content creators, such as tabletopaudio.com, freesounds.org, and Kevin MacLeod, creator of incomputech.com. Royalty-free music licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution License 3.0.